Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. We help you make progress in your creative journey. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza! You can stay up to date with all things Creative Pep Talk by following me on Instagram for the, <laughs> at Andy J. Pizza. Tried to hold the note. Didn't work. Yeah, let's get into today's episode, shall we? This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Ushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new Fluid Engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site. It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it, got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him like, you should go check it out. You're gonna be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was gonna tell you about this new site. Anyway, go check it out, anyjpizza.com if you wanna see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you, where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. Today on the show, we have the most honored guest. Lisa Congdon is on the show for the fourth time, first ever fourth time guest on the show. And I can guarantee you this is not going to be the last time because I love Lisa Congdon and I love talking to her. And we have huge news. Lisa has joined our creative management agency. We are now representing Lisa Congdon on our agency, CoLoop. So we are so thrilled to have her. The addition to the video calls and and all the things we we do with Coloop behind the scenes and and all the the work that we do, um, this the, the addition of adding Lisa to the roster has been a match made in heaven. It's been really 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 great, and I'm glad we got to have her come on and talk about some of that. Talk about what's so great about collaborating and and having a team and having uh, other artists that are on your side and it just. It, it, it was absolutely lovely. We also, th- this interview is fire, like <laughs> fire. It is fire. <laughs> I wish I would have chose a different word there, but 
It is that that's the that was the truth because um, it's it, we get into a lot of personal stuff and a lot of uh, deep stuff around creativity and there's just tons of good takeaways. But you're not surprised because it's Lisa. But when we get into the talking about the your spark and talking about saying yes to life, these are ideas that have been on my mind since this conversation, and I've realized that my creative practice really is where I want it to be when I am being true to the connection to that spark, to, to, to the things that are exciting me and, and, and allowing me to say yes to life. And, and that becomes the, the foundation that I want to create from. And so anyway, this is great. I think you're going to really enjoy it. Thanks, Lisa, for giving me so much time and uh, being such a great friend. And I'm so happy to have you on the show again. Here it is, Lisa Congdon. first thing I want to say is obviously the huge announcement that we <laughs> did this week that you're part of CoLoop. Uh, I'm so pumped about it. And I, I, I've i been thinking about what when we did a CoLoop, we do these CoLoop calls. And after the last one, I was just like, I told Ryan, I was like, man, I'm so glad that Lisa is a part of this. And I was trying to figure out what, why it makes me f- just feel so happy that you're doing this is there's just a sincerity to what you do that I really relate to. And I think that's why you're, you know, you'll be the only guest to appear on the show four times. It's just that that's just something that I gravitate towards. And I actually think in the illustration design industry, it's sincerity isn't that common. Is sincerity something you think about? Say more about what you think about. Or, or how you define sincerity. Yeah, I, it's just a, uh, the way I'll set it up is when I was in seventh grade, my best friend was this huge football player and he was like the captain of the team and he was just a total badass. And he bought this, the day it came out, he went to the record store to get the newest Insane album. And everybody was like giving him crap for it. Like what, like, why do you listen to this stuff? And he was just like, because I like it. And I remember just thinking like that, that that's what I want. Just so this, like being yourself. Yeah. Even if it means other people are going to give you or, or like, yeah. even if it makes you vulnerable. Yes. Okay. Well, unlike your buddy from seventh grade, I haven't always, I don't think I've always been this way. Mm. When I was younger, let me let me backtrack a little bit. When I was yeah. younger, I was definitely more the kid who would have gone to buy the InSync album. Or, you know, since I'm ten or so or more years older than you, it would have been the like, I don't know, what's a dorky album from my era? Whitney Houston. Okay. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, I would have been the one to like go buy the Whitney Houston album and then like hide it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. Except That's, I d- actually happened to hang out with all of the dorks who also loved Whitney Houston. Um, but in my, you know, as I've gotten older, I have learned so many times that that sincerity is what connects you to people and that it might not be the people in your fantasy mind you want to be friends with or want to have as admirers. Um, 
but ultimately like being you in the fullest version of yourself is actually what's going to help you develop relationships. And in my case now in my career, get work, (laughs) sell things is just by being me, right? Not trying to be something else, not trying to be cool, not trying to be, not that I don't think I'm cool because, you know. You definitely are. I'm definitely cool, especially for a 52-year-old. I have to grant myself that. Oh, yeah, definitely. But like, I don't know. When I was younger, I felt all of those insecurities that we all feel, right? Like that you Mm -hmm. kind of projected onto your friend. You know, we all feel deep down inside like a seventh grader going to buy the album that they might get teased for, 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 for listening to. And yet we all admire these people who can say, you know, I listen to NSYNC. And, um, and I think that I finally figured that out in my forties and then became brave enough just even in the last 10 years, um, which isn't even the amount of time I've been online, right? Like I figured out in the last 10 years that, um, owning all of the stuff that I used to be embarrassed about or ashamed of, or that made me feel like an imposter in the world of art and illustration were actually my strengths, right? Or they were actually the things that were going to connect me to other people. And that, that in and of itself is a strength, right? When you have the ability to connect and that I just figured that out over time. It wasn't like a light bulb, went off one moment and um, it's changed everything for me. So So that sincerity isn't, it's not that I was insincere before. I was just sort of like, um, you know, like in therapy and you do a lot of kind of reading and Joseph Campbell and all of that. But like Mm -hmm. there's the mask self, right? Or the the mask we all wear into the world, right? If we're going to talk about symbolism or like, and I took, I think at some point I started to take the mask off, right? But I was living in that world like we, we all are. And to a certain degree, I still have a mask on because I have sure. to for self-protection, <laughs> but yeah. you know, yeah. So, so I do think about it. I think about it a lot and I actually struggle sometimes because, you know, I'll go to post something on social media or I'll make a piece of art that is deeply personal or I'll post a picture of myself and tell a story about my life. And I do, I have that like surge of anxiety inside. It's not that I do it with a sense of complete fearlessness, it's just that I do it and I sit with the anxiety and I know that whatever discomfort I'm experiencing is worth it um, for what I'll get in return and what other people might get in return. Yeah, I, I love that. And I actually think that maybe one of the things that people love about you is that that didn't necessarily I don't, I don't know if this is the right phrase, but come naturally. It was a journey of becoming yourself and being comfortable in your own skin. And you've been so, you know, forthright and, and you've shared that process that I think that it gives people the hope that they can have that same transformation of maybe one day I will feel as comfortable in my own skin as Lisa has found. Yeah. And I hope to model that for people. I mean, I think one of the greatest gifts for me of you know, like so many of my contemporaries in terms of, you know, there are some exceptions, there are some men and, you know, definitely men, but, you know, women illustrators out there who are my age, most of them have actually been working in the profession way longer than I have because they went to school yeah. for it. And But a lot of my contemporaries in terms of like the, the people who've been sort of working in this industry as long as I have or um, are, are in their 30s. And 
because I got a late start. Right. And, um, I think what I can offer is, um, or to other people who want to get into the industry at an, at an older age, I think what I can offer is like this or do anything, not just be an illustrator, just do what, you know, find the thing that you want to do with your life. Um, instead of settling, like I can, I can be this person who, yeah, who models that for people or, um, or who kind of leads by example, because, you know, I think one of the things that, that I have that a lot of, I think there are an enormous amount of, especially on the co-loop roster, like younger illustrators who are incredibly wise. Like I look at Lauren Hom and I'm just like, my mind is blown. Like, (laughs) I'm like, I don't know how old she is. She's younger than me. I think she's just about to turn 30. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, I'm 22 years older than she is. And, and I, and I listen to her talk and I'm like, how are you only 30 years old? Like your brain only finished developing a year ago. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> our brain doesn't actually fully develop until we're 29. Maybe she's 29. Who knows? And yeah. I just, and I think you are wise beyond your years. You have this maturity level that is, and this like sense of, of who you are and this confidence that, you know, is a rare thing. Um, and, you know, I'm sure that Lauren has all the same insecurities as the rest of us. And, sure. uh, you know, we're all human underneath that. But I guess what I'm saying is, like, there are young people who who are just wise beyond their years. But so many, but those people are more rare. I think, you know, the Laurens of the world exist, but most of us are just, like, floundering, right? And mm. And it takes us a while to kind of like figure stuff out. And what I feel like I can do is give people permission for it to take a while, you know, for it to, to take until, you know, you're, you're in your forties or you're, or you're in your fifties and to really like own that life experience as a strength and not something that, um, makes you fail in comparison to somebody like Lauren, who's sort of like figured a lot out pretty early in life. Yeah, that totally makes sense. I, I also think like, there's a, because the, you know, with the internet, I think one of the things I, obviously everybody sat around thinking like, how the hell did the country get to this point? What, what's happening and all that kind of stuff. And I feel like for me, the thing I keep going back to is like, is it just the internet made change happen so fast that people are, that certain people are just really uncomfortable. And I, I think that profound cultural change has made it so that um, people getting started in finding themselves or, or being a creative or whatever are struggling to find people that are established, uh, or in your shoes that they aspire to or look up to or trust because, you know, I don't know, because so, so many people in that demographic just don't embody their values. And I just think that you had the courage in a time earlier in your life to, uh, to explore the truths about yourself, um, that you ended up being ahead of that cultural change in a way. Well, it's true. Like I did like all of the work that I did that caused me to get to the place now where I, you know, you know, at least try, I'm not always successful to, to live yeah. sincerely or, you know, authentically. Cause I, um, all of that work, I had sort of like begun to sort of 
I mean, I did that work before the internet became a big part of my life. Um, and I continue to do that work every day, but like the timing of it was kind of interesting. Like I ended up starting a blog and going on Flickr, which was like my first kind of social media platform before anything else existed, you know, after I had already kind of done all of this internal work in therapy and, 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 you know, and deep exploration. Um, and so I had a lot of these kind of tools to help me navigate this very scary, vulnerable space that a lot of people don't have. And I think that's another Mm -hmm. thing you're probably alluding to is that like, um, a lot of young people use the internet. Um, and by young people, I mean, you know, (laughs) into their thirties, like young compared to me and, um, and don't necessarily have the tools to navigate it. So they're either Mm -hmm. abusing it or they're using it and feeling incredibly lost and insecure and overwhelmed by it. And, um, And so I do feel really lucky that like I had this, I had both the sort of like years of maturity by the time I entered it. And I had done all of this like work on myself to help me really use it authentically. Um, Not necessarily as, as well as I do now in the beginning, but, but, you know, from the get go, I was on that path. And I do think that, that I, I feel really lucky in that for sure. Yeah. I, well, I, we're super happy to have you. One of the core values of CoLoop that we have talked about from the beginning is just a deep sense of self, whether that's in being in touch with your creative voice and that when you do that, that manifests in all kinds of different mediums and outlets. And that that's really important to us. Um, so, you know, it's such a perfect fit and, uh, and we're super happy to have you on the team. Well, thank you. And I'm thrilled myself, honestly. So just so your audience knows, um, about a little over a year ago, I was in Columbus yeah. because we had an event together and you're like, I want to take you out to dinner. And, um, Ryan, my, my agent is, is going to join us. And I was like, okay, cool. I had like communicated yeah. a little bit with Ryan around sort of some scheduling for, for this event that we were doing. And we sat there and had some delicious food and some cocktails and you all like broached the subject of starting this agency, which was at its infancy. And I think a couple people, some people had committed, but nothing was public yeah. yet. And, you know, put out there that you, you know, you wanted me to think about whether or not I'd want to join at some point. And I remember getting really excited about it, but, but entirely, not entirely being sure because there was a lot I had to think about. I had an agent at one point and I was like, do I really want to, you know, and the more I thought about it, the more it made sense. And part of the reason it made sense for me was because you aren't just, you know, Coloop isn't just an illustration agency. It's like, yeah, you help with every aspect of like Ryan likes to call himself studio manager. Um, and, and in some ways that makes sense because it's like anything I need help with that feels complicated I can at least go to for advice, anything that involves negotiating anything with an outside party, um, whether it's art direction or money or whatever. Um, and that to me was like the, the kind of support that I needed and felt worth, you know, sort of like compensating some trustworthy person or set of people to do. And I also loved this idea of, um, having a small group of artists who, and what, you know, what your audience may not know also is that like, we get on 
Zoom calls together and talk and share ideas and work on the same projects sometimes and share resources and information. And, you know, being an artist is such a lonely existence sometimes, um, especially now during a pandemic and having that kind of text thread and that email thread and that, you know, is so great. And for the record, um, I finally signed on with you all this summer and literally like within a month, I got an onslaught of big brand collaboration inquiries in my inbox that I am absolutely positive would have thrown me over the edge in terms of anxiety (laughs) had, um, and literally every single one of them, I was like, thank you so much for contacting me. I'm copying my agent Ryan on this deal right (laughs) now. He can take it from here. And it was just like the most relieving thing that you can imagine. Some of those brand collaborations didn't work out because they didn't have you know, we couldn't agree on money or, you know, they had to put off, you know, it was like one of those things yeah. where they thought they wanted something now, but they actually want it later. And, you know, a few of them worked out, but it was like so much of the stress that we feel as like create, you know, working creatives is like the admin and the management and the negotiations yeah. and the communication and the email and to have somebody especially as eloquent and is like just lovely as Ryan, um, handle for you is that's the one thing about having an agent I had always kind of missed. And I just, it's just been really, really like the, the synchronicity of all of it for me has just been amazing. So, um, I'm just absolutely thrilled with the whole package. Um, every day I just am so grateful that this happened and that you came to me and asked me because even though I wasn't sure I wanted it, I, now I feel like I couldn't live without it. (laughs) Yeah, I, I, I totally, I relate to everything you're saying. And it's one of the, one of my favorite things about CoLoop is the idea that it was started by a business person who is obsessed, obsessed with art and an artist who has a lot, has spent a lot of time thinking about business. And one of the things that we talk about all the time is being artist forward in this idea. And that comes from partially being co-founded by an artist of like, what do artists actually want? What do they actually need? And when I was all of my time working with Ryan, he's always been sensitive to that. And he's always delivered on all of the things that make those big brand collaborations uncomfortable or hard for me or, you know, all, it just totally offset all of my weaknesses and allowed me to focus on you know, being the good guy, first of all, it was just showing up and being like, hi, I'm the fun artist person. That's why you hired me. Not the person that's like, all right, how much money is it? Okay. That's not going to be enough. You know, like that's not the conversation I want to have. Um, and so, you know, he's more than uh, also with know-how and and just being able to be eloquent about how he approaches a bid or, or whatever has always, you know, paid for more than paid for himself. And so, uh, it's amazing. It's an amazing thing to give what you didn't get this idea of creating an agent. Cause I've had a bunch of agents. I've had two or three agents. Uh, and, and you know, it wasn't that 
they were t- uh, terrible relationships, but they weren't what I needed them to be. And so it's an amazing feeling to try to build something that delivers on what artists actually need today because it's changed a lot. And, you know, every artist is different. We try to like tailor that. Um, but it's just, it's fantastic to hear you talk about that because I love Ryan and I love working with them. Oh, me too. Um, like I've, yeah. I just, am, I've gotten so attached now. I'm like, I had a meeting the other day and he, he couldn't come. So, so just so (laughs) folks know, like a lot of times when you're doing client work, um, you have these meetings leading up to the launch of the project. So you're getting clear on art direction, you're, you know, and right now because of the pandemic, we're just so used to being on zoom that we just have them on zoom. Um, most of the time you're not in the same city as the people. So you wouldn't meet in person anyway. And in the old days you would just do it on email and, um, maybe the phone or whatever, but anyway, so yeah. the other day I had a meeting and like Ryan wasn't in the meeting cause he had something else to do. And I felt <laughs> like, where's dad, you know, I mean, yeah. I need, I, I need, I need dad here to like, there's a security blanket for me in that where I'm just like, I, there's, I can go in with my energy and my ideas and be all in that without worrying about, wait a second. I forgot to ask that question. Yeah. Well, or, at the end, like, he's wait. always like, okay, uh, before we go, just, just, just to be clear. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I love that, you know, and actually this, this project that I'm working on right now where he wasn't in the meeting the other day is like the one that I'm struggling with. And yeah. I just, like, um, you know, I, and that, that's not to say I can't handle a meeting without Ryan now, but, sure. um, he does add this sort of like element of, um, it's not that he sits in the, in the art direction meetings to sort of strong arm the clients. It's more just like that he's looking out for your best interests at all times, you know? Yeah. And he understands, you know, he, he, a couple of times he's been like, I think what they were asking for was X, Y, and Z. Well, like I'll send him something before I deliver it to a client. And he's like, I actually don't, you know, one time I was doing some stuff for target and he, and he was like, you know what? I don't actually think that um, this is quite what they were asking for. So go back and do this. And, right. and I had forgotten about this thing that he remembered. And there's just so much value in having that person, you know, and again, you're just not alone. It's like yeah. having a coworker there to like back you up. And That's, I don't, yeah. you know, those of us who are freelancers, we don't have, you know, we, we might have an employee who like helps us with stuff, but we don't have a coworker who like sits on a call and brainstorms stuff with us. So 100%. And that's this idea of this, it's an extent, Kalupi, an extension of your team and not the other way around. There's this thing of, you know, what would happen? We would get a a great job uh, and I'd be pumped about it and be, and me and my wife would be stoked about it. But also like, we're so connected that it feels like, oh, I don't know. It's not, it's, there's something weird about that. But if you go tell any friend like, oh, I got this job. Like they're like, okay, cool. Especially if they're in art, they're a little bit like, oh, I wanted that job. Like, I wish that was me. But when you have Ryan, like we have a little chime out there. So whenever we sign a big deal, we will ding the chime. And uh, there's just something about that coworker, teammate, including the other co-loop artists. We picked them because we know they also embody that energy of like, we're happy for each other. We want each other to win. And they're, yeah, without that, the freelance solo thing can be pretty, pretty lonely. You get this great thing happen or you get this terrible thing happen and you have no one to turn, you know, you turn and there's no one there and you're just stuck in it. Um, like after a, some, you know, every once in a while, you'll have a client thing go wrong. And, and often when I was dealing with that on my own, I would feel like, 
what did I do? Like, ah, what, you know, you know, they're, they might be projecting like you did this wrong or you should have come through on this thing. And I'm like, it's not in the contract. I don't know. But when Ryan's there, I know he, he'll tell me, he's like, yeah, this is the thing you did wrong. Or he'll be like, they're completely in the wrong. Like they, they, this is what the contract said. This is what you were supposed to do. You over delivered on that. And there's just this security of a team. Of like, okay. Yeah, it, somebody has yeah. your back and that you yes. are not, so, you know, I, since I, 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 and I had that with my former agent and they were really great at that too. But like for the last, let's see, since 2014 or so, maybe even, I haven't had an agent. So over the last six years and um, yeah, so like when you are in a situation like that, you have to go to bat for yourself, which we all know is just emotionally harder you have, you know, and to have somebody back, backing you up when you need it. And a lot of most situations you don't because people, we work with people who are awesome. And, but like every now and again, there's a, there's a, there's a conflict and it's just so comforting to have somebody there, you know, either telling me, no, actually you didn't get it right, quite right. Or have your back when, when, you know, it's the client. And I think Ryan has a lot of, integrity and he knows so much about the industry now that it's just for me it's like yeah it's like where's dad basically (laughs) (laughs) I feel that all the time and I you know uh just for people that are listening to this uh, one takeaway is you know I think the industry changed a lot to where you know way back in the day starting an illustration career it was it was almost essential I mean like I'm thinking 90s and 80s before that to have an agent to get you work. And it's almost now for my, my experiences, I didn't really need an agent until I was, I needed help managing all the work and, and doing the deals. Um, so, so for the people that maybe don't have an agent or, you know, the agency they have isn't like this, or they're not ready for that. I would encourage people to find something like the group calls that we do. You know, I have another group that I do that with that's not the agency. And it's technically a mastermind, although I just hate that word because it just seems so ridiculous. We're like, let's get our mastermind. Like, I don't know. I just feel uncomfortable about it. But that's what it is. And it there's just some I, I encourage people to go find those people that will celebrate your wins and commiserate your losses and, and all that stuff. Have you had that kind of thing in the past? Yeah, I, I mean, I have I feel really lucky because I'm I'm I'm, you know, like you, I'm I'm well, I'm definitely on the on the cusp of introvert and extrovert. I'm like I'm kind of yeah, super I'm kind well of in, suited yeah. for this career because I can spend inordinate amounts of time by myself, like making stuff and I'm completely happy, but I also love people and I love connecting. And so, and I make friends pretty easily. And so I, you know, I, I have in the last, you know, 13, 14 years that I've been doing this, like built a lot of relationships with a lot of amazing, trustworthy people who do some version of what I do. They're not all illustrators, but like makers and artists and um, entrepreneurs. And yeah, my very, my best friend in the whole world, um, it falls in that category. Um, and then I have, um, I have in the past had groups of people that I met with regularly, um, to talk about this stuff. Uh, and it's been instrumental in my, (laughs) this is going to sound like in my survival, right. Um, yeah. In this, in this industry, because it's, um, again, being alone, not necessarily knowing 
whether you're making the right decisions at all times um, or you're being treated fairly by a client, having people or at least one person to bounce those questions off of. I mean, my my best friend is is started as a printmaker and is now sort of delving into licensing and a little bit of illustration and definitely publishing books. And she she will often text me and say, hey, um, I'm in this situation and, you know, I, I'm not sure if this is fair. Can you take a look at this? And we yeah. all need that person, right? I'm also part of this fairly new organization called the Art Brand Alliance. And, um, you know, it's by application only at this point. You got to have like a pretty established art brand to join. Um, and there's a fee to join. But then once you're in, it's like this forum for kind of like asking questions and getting together with people around particular topics that you're interested in um, knowing more about. And there's all levels of expertise in the room. So there's somebody like me who's been doing this for a long time and knows a lot, has written books about art business. And and then there's people who are really new to, the, who, who have strong voices, but the business part is new to them. And, and we can all kind of come together and learn from each other. And I think part of what I love about CoLoop and the Art Brand Alliance is this idea of like democracy or um, it's actually very anti-capitalist. It's this idea yeah. that we don't have to hoard all of the information and resources to ourselves because we have this like shared sense of abundance, like that we're going to, that what is good for me is good for you. And that if I actually share the information about how to do this thing or how to negotiate a contract or how much money I was paid, that it's going to be better for everyone in the industry and that it doesn't mean I'm going to lose, you know, because you're going to make the same amount of money as me because I shared with you how much money I made. I just, yeah. I love that. Like, I'm all about like sharing information, helping everyone to become successful. And that to me is like, it's just what I'm, a, what I'm all about. And part of what attracted me to CoLoop was this idea of, of sharing information. And we even have been talking internally about figuring out ways to eventually share that information outside of CoLoop, you know, yeah. helping yeah. artists um, who aren't, you know, represented by CoLoop make the best decisions for their business. So anyway, I'm like the whole concept of it to me is, is, is amazing. Yeah. We, we set, we wear out this phrase, but I think probably the foundational phrase of Coloop is a rising tide raises all ships. And it's just this, it, for me, uh, it's always grounded in, I just care about artists and I want them to win and thrive. And, and I, I, you know, I get really upset when I think about how the odds are often stacked against artists winning, you know, even successful, thriving, smart ones like that. The system is still built often to benefit, you know, the, the, the business side of the, the, you know, the, the shareholders or whatever, and not the artist. So that just is a natural thing of like, I want to share information because of that. But then on top of it, just like you said, there's this, I, I there's this deeply held belief that says, you know, if I see another illustrator break out, like when I start, when I started seeing illustrators become quote unquote, almost like actually famous on Instagram, a lot of people, when they see that, their initial response is like, oh, like, man, I wish that was me or, you know, they don't deserve it or whatever it is. And actually, I was reminded of what I heard in comedy, like when back in the day when Dane Cook, which, you know, that's a funny thing to talk about now, but um, when Dane Cook had this huge breakout success and it became a mainstream thing, 
stand-up became a mainstream thing. That was the, th and, and there was a bunch of comics that were like, oh, F Dan Cook, he's not legit, whatever, and were jealous of it and all that stuff. But there were other comics that were saying, no, he's making comedy mainstream and it's good for all comedians. All comedians will benefit from the fact that everybody is now buying stand-up albums and everybody is looking for another comic. And when I started seeing like Instagram started to turn illustrators mainstream, I thought this is the best thing that could happen for illustration. Absolutely. Like I, I mean, I'm one of those people who gets recognized on yeah. the street Yes. Yeah. and that celebrity for lack of a better word or that people feeling like they know me can yeah. makes my business sustainable, right? Because people like, like my messages. So they want to buy prints or cards or journals that have my messages on them or whatever. Right. And so that has made, and I'm not just me, but there are a lot of people in my shoes. We have made that, um, you know, putting art into the hand, you know, into the hands of regular everyday people, a cool thing. Right. And that's good for yes, everyone. Yes. That's good for everyone. Absolutely. The more we can get art on things, the, the more joyful world we're going to have. And the more people are going to want to consume things with art on them. So, um, the more people are going to, companies are going to want to work with artists because they know the power of art to, you know, to sell really. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's a, yeah, it's an amazing thing. I want to shift gears a little bit. And uh, a question I've been asking artists is what is the art that they consumed that made them an artist rather than, oh, I was drawing always a as a kid, whatever. Um, I find often like whether if I'm just interviewed a musician and I just asked him, you know, what music did you consume that made you the musician that you are? And so I don't think I have an answer for you for that, which is, you know, what visual art did when you found it that was kind of a big impetus but catalyst to be who you are now yeah so um that, <laughs> that's such a big question especially right now so um just yeah. a little background i did not start making art until i was in my early 30s but i have been sort of immersed if you've read the introduction to my book find your artistic voice I talk, I talk in that book a little bit about kind of like what happened for me. So the, the short version is, um, I, when I was, uh, 22, I graduated from college and I moved to San Francisco and I had always lived in the suburbs, including in, in college. And I had this sort of like very pretty insulated. I mean, I, my parents are, you know, progressive Democrats and, you know, I, I went to Europe once when I was in high school and, um, you know, we, we would occasionally go to museums and, my parents are well read and I read a lot of books, but I wasn't that cultured kid, right? I was like suburban white middle-class kid without a lot of um, exposure to different cultures and all that. So I moved to San Francisco and literally within a week, my mind is blown, right? Because I'm living yeah. in this place where everyone looks different and dresses differently. And just, I got, I had the feeling that I had the first three weeks I lived there was akin to 
falling in love with somebody and having that like butterfly in your stomach crush feeling that mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. Uh, it's endorphins being released, right? Like I remember I went to my first foreign film. I know this is crazy to think like, but you have to remember this was 1990 when I graduated from college, you know, just out of the eighties. And, you know, I go to this old theater in San Francisco called the bridge, which no longer exists. Um, and it was one of those old art deco theaters, you know, all original, everything with the cool sign outside. And I went with my new roommate, Beth, um, to see cinema Paradiso. And it was Mm -hmm. the first foreign film that I had ever seen. And, um, I just was enamored and, everything about living in a city and art and culture and bookstore, independent bookstores. And like, I just fell in love. And Mm -hmm. within a couple of years, I um, came out as a lesbian. So I was also just entering this world of, you know, queerness and like, just again, mind blowing, exciting, scary, all of it. I fell in love with this woman who I was in a relationship with for eight and a half years, who, who actually, as many of you who know me know, just passed away two months, uh, about a month and a half ago, suddenly. Very sad. Yeah, I'm sorry. I was Um, really sad to hear that. But she was an artist and a designer. She had gotten her BFA. She was working as a graphic designer. And I remember walking into her apartment um, for the first time when we started dating and there's like mid-century furniture and there was like cool letterpress posters on the wall and like books stacked in interesting ways. And I just remember being like, where am I? What is this? I don't know, but I love it. Like yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm in this new world and I'm just, and from there she introduced me to her favorite artists and designers and Tibor Kallman and the gorilla girls and, you know, uh, Lucian Freud and just, and I just, my mind was blown. And again, I wasn't an artist. I just loved the way it all looked. And she was yeah. really into mid-century graphic design as an inspiration for herself. And I got, fell in love with that. And, um, and I also sort of like fell in love with folk art. And, and then I discovered Alexander Girard, who was like, my, my, my number one favorite artist in the whole world, because he is, he had this aesthetic, which combines modern graphic design and folk art and like puts them together. Um, and so that really was like meeting her and being exposed to all this stuff that I might've been exposed to an art school had I gone, or if I had grown up in a city, who knows, was just kind of the, the original before the internet, before I could go down rabbit holes of like Google searches, right? Like I just Mm -hmm. got immersed into this world. And again, it wasn't like I said, Oh, I love this stuff. I'm going to go make it myself. I didn't think that was possible. Mm -hmm. I just surrounded Mm -hmm. myself with it. That's she was a collector. That's why a a lot of you who, who are listening, who follow me know that I collect a lot of old shit. You know, my shelves are filled with old erasers and objects and things with old typography and Marguerite, who is my ex-partner was the person who got me into all of that. And so 
Oh, by the way, I'm, I have to, her memorial is on uh, Sunday and I need to like read a tribute and I think I should just record this and just play it because I've been <laughs> yeah, struggling to write yeah. a tribute and here I am giving one. Um, <clears throat> anyway. I'm very moved by that. What, everything you just said, uh, ju- even just like, uh, you know, I'm really, I, I told you that I, I'm so sorry to hear about this and I, you know, uh, but what you just said was such a tribute because I think all of these people that love you and love your work and hearing how Marguerite introduced you to this with just her lifestyle. Yeah. It was just a gift. Like you just, I don't know. It, it opened me up. You, and like yeah. we traveled and we would go to art museums and she was knew so much. I mean, she'd gone to the LaGuardia school for the arts in New York city. She grew up in New York city. So, um, which is one thing I didn't mention, which is why at such a young age, she was only a year older than me. She already know. And then she went to SUNY Binghamton and, um, was working as a graphic designer and she's a, an award. She was an award-winning graphic designer, um, an art director, creative director at some big agencies. But, but I, I, so that was sort of the beginning for me. And then ironically, our relationship we grew apart. We needed to break up. So we did. We remained yeah. friends. We had, you know, some, 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 some time apart after the breakup, but, um, ironically we, we broke up and I was like, not, you know, I had to then start my own life by myself as a, as a creative person. And that's when I started making art. That's when I started taking art classes. And maybe it was sort of like part healing from the breakup, but also like, giving myself permission to, to make the things that I admired her for making. And, you know, eventually we would joke about it. You know, I had like, um, taken all of that and then sort of made this career for myself, which I think always blew her mind. Right. Because she went Mm. through these more traditional channels to, to become a create a professional creative. And I sort of like, I was self-taught and, and kind of figure things out on my own, you know, which just goes to show you there's many paths to becoming a creative, but, yeah. um, and then I, even when I started making art, I never, and I was using all of these influences, you know, mid-century and folk art and all of that. Like I wasn't, um, imagining that I could be my career at first. Like it was like, I'm doing this for fun. And then, you know, the internet happened and I, you know, and then I was like, oh, maybe this is, eventually I thought maybe this is the this platform can allow me to to run my own business doing this, you know, again, never imagining yeah. that it could be what it is now. But but that's sort of how it all got started. And that was that was like that's a sort of part of my inspiration story right there, like how it all like how I woke up like in my um book, Find Your Artistic Voice, I talk about like the phases of kind of the creative path. And the first thing is called this to me, it's called the spark. I mean, she, you probably have a different word for it because you and I like to name things, but, um, yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and the spark for some people happens when they're five years old, right? They know right. they yeah. want to be an artist from the time they're five. They're already drawing prolifically for some people. It doesn't happen until they're 65. You know, for some people it happens like in a high school classroom when their teacher shows them something, it just lights them up. And for me, that spark happened when I was in my twenties, but I didn't translate it into now I must make something myself for another 10 or so years. And so what people need to understand is that spark doesn't necessarily automatically lead to, and now I will make something myself. 
I was making yeah. things, but not in a in this earnest way that I eventually did um, that led to what I'm able to, you know, produce now. But um, and that's just it. it like it, the path is different for everybody. And what inspires and ignites you might not lead to an art career. It might not lead to one right away or it might just lead to something that doesn't necessarily, you know, that you're not monetizing. Um, there are so many different ways to be creative and to have a creative life, you know? Yes. What do you think was the difference between once you started making work, I'm assuming that you started to become aware of what was different about your taste to uh, Marguerite's taste? What, what, is that true? Do you, are there differences? Well, I mean, I actually love Marguerite's taste. um, And I was, I think I was very influenced by her taste. Um, But yeah, there are ways that I've sort of broke away from that and created my own version of that, right? Like, um, or I think about all the sort of artistic influences that I have, including Alexander Girard and, and other artists who I admire, Mary Blair and others, like, I, you know, I, I made this sort of like soup. And, and, and yeah. yeah, but it, it wasn't immediate. Like, um, I remember very early on in my art career, I loved Margaret Kilgallen and um, I loved her, her art. If for those of you listening who don't know, Google her, she passed away in her early thirties. She um, was this really amazing um, street artist turned gallery artist. And um, I remember I had a show one of my very first shows back in like 2006 um, at this salon in San Francisco, which doubled as a gallery. And, and um, it, it got written up on this internet place called Daily Candy. I don't even know if Daily Candy exists anymore, but at the time it was like a big deal if you got written up on Daily Candy, like everyone will come to your art opening in San Francisco. And so I got written up on Daily Candy. So it was like packed and I sold, you know, of course my work was like $150 at the time. Yeah. <laughs> so, or less, you know, people had sold out, but I got an email afterwards from somebody saying that I was like ripping off Margaret Kilgallen and like that my work was like super really like it or, you know, like basically that I was copying her. Right. Yeah. And I just remember being mortified because first of all, I didn't agree. <laughs> she wasn't influenced, but you know, there's this, but I now looking back, I'm like, yeah, I totally get that. Right. Like mm-hmm. we're, we're all that person in the beginning who, you know, I see people right now who, whose work looks very similar to mine. And I just sort of have to take a deep breath and say, this is where they are in their process. They will yeah. move past it. Mm-hmm. And eventually we all move past our, you know, our influences. When we make enough of our own work, we sort of like develop, you know, we can't help it. It's in our DNA, as you say. Right. Yeah. yeah. I love that. That. Okay. So you know, I think uh, there's so many things I want to say about that. But the first one is um, one of the things I've been thinking about, I'm going to do an episode about it. I'm a huge, huge comedy nerd, like just obsessed with it. And one of the things that I've noticed the pattern is every single stand-up comedy hero, if you go listen to their story, read their book, or, you know, go back and hear their biography, 
they all start as a ripoff of their favorite. Like if you look at Eddie Murphy became this huge thing. Like I didn't know this at the time either. I didn't know he was such a stand-up star, but he like changed the game. But when he started, he was a direct, like he would do a voice that was Richard Pryor. Like that's him on stage. And I just, I started noticing like, okay, Mike Birbiglia, he used to be a Mitch Hedberg ripoff. And, you know, I could tell you list after list, there's, there's, they're all the same story. And I guess I feel like, I've started doing the same thing you do where when I see someone who is sparked by me and it's genuine, a genuine spark, I try not, I don't want to put that out. And I had a similar experience uh, outside of college. I didn't, I didn't get the on the nose write up of like, this is a ripoff of this per se. There's maybe one or two comments, but I had a friend that did who I was a collaborator, collaborator with him and he got reamed on this blog and I was like, I had like, I had talked to my therapist about it not long ago because I was like, I think I have like some traumatic stress about that whole experience. Um, and so that's had that's led me to be like, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about that when you get that spark and you're on fire and you're pumped about it and you don't know what you're doing, like that's okay. Like we want we want that fire and stuff. So I really respect you know your your process there of like honoring that i mean i know there are times there's exceptions it's a there's a whole yeah, well, spectrum i've had to email things. a few people um sure. so the, gently yes. behind the scenes i know ne- i don't know ne- i i do not publicly shame anybody i do i am yeah. opposed to that um because i think most because of the time, it, it's not going to serve them anyway no, to stay even there. when they're literally yeah. copying tracing your work like um yeah. it doesn't serve a purpose so no. anyway i because it's true it's like they Actually, there's this one artist that I've been following who I thought that about at one point, and her work has so transformed. I actually just bought something from her. I've had that very similar. I, I experience. love her work yeah. now, and because yeah. it's really like moved into its own kind of orbit, orbit, you know. And I just yes. like instead of like being pissed, I just sort of like continued to watch what she was doing, and and now I just purchased something from her. So there you go. That's amazing. Uh, so okay, I'm curious of. If you could articulate what moving to San Francisco, you know, the foreign films, this relationship, all that stuff, getting, it sounds like culture is what it was in a way, what that gave you that you didn't have uh, before that. And then, yeah, maybe that is just the first part of that question. Energy for life. Mm. Yeah, man, I love that. Okay. Yeah, like that. I mean, that feeling that I was trying to describe laying in bed after going to my first foreign film, which, by the way, I need to, if anybody hasn't seen Cinema Paradiso, it's like a, a really I've lovely it, but I haven't seen it. foreign film that um, award winning. Um, and, and, and it wasn't just the film. It was the experience of like going to the Richmond District, which is this sort of like foggy near the ocean um, neighborhood in San Francisco, parking my, fr- I mean, we probably took the bus actually. I'm not even sure we had a car mm. getting out, going into this old, old theater that smelled like popcorn, sitting in the like old seats, um, being around all of these kind of like weird urban people, you know, seeing this film. Um, we probably went and had a beer afterwards or a coffee, you know, at a cafe and yeah. going home. And I was just like, this, 
like, I think for a lot of people that wouldn't necessarily be very exciting, but for me, it was like that. And then just visually everything I was taking in, um, was so exciting to me and just gave me energy for life, even years and years and years before I started making art in this really earnest way myself. I mean, I've always sort of been a creative person. I've always made things and kind of been crafty, but that's what lights me up. That's why I love traveling to foreign countries. That's why, you know, um, I love being in nature, right? Because like there, nothing is ever the same. Nature just constantly changing. Even if you go to the same spot. Um, and yeah. that to me is what gives me energy. That, that what lights me up. Like today I, I posted this thing on internet, um, on the internet, on Instagram. Um, <laughs> yeah that says find what feeds you. Right. And the caption is like about, you know, the fact that so often I think people think that those of us who make a lot of work, like that we, um, are in this constant state of creative flow, but that's not true. Like staying open to, to inspiration for lack of a better word, um, Mm -hmm. or that kind of energy that I'm talking about requires its own form of discipline. You have to really take care of yourself. You have to like make space for it. You have to unplug from the news. You have to set aside the computer and look at books or take a walk or go to a museum or whatever, right? You have to, you have to make space for it. And, um, and for me, like I figured out really early on what fed me. Um, and the challenge now that I've become a professional artist and I'm like required to make stuff all the time and be creative all the time is actually to, to tap into that, like unpressured source. Like for all those years, I got to just enjoy art and design and nature and fashion and music and all that stuff that inspired me. Now I have to enjoy it and use it as a source of like output. And that in some ways is harder. And part of how I stay inspired is I just constantly stay open. And how to do that is a whole other podcast episode. But Mm-hmm. I just, I just try really hard. And I, and, and when I'm feeling shut down and exhausted or uninspired, I realize that I'm, that for whatever reason, I'm closed off, right? I'm not open to those sources of inspiration that I was talking about, or that feeling that I got from film and art and music and all those things. So then I try to say, okay, well, what can I do to open up, open that up for myself again? Um, and, and then I go through that process, but, um, so staying open to it and being in that space is hard. Well, as I said this morning, especially during a, a pandemic election cycle. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, staying open. It feels, yeah, I mean, sometimes you can't, sometimes you got to like close off because you're you're taking too much and you're feeling, you know, whatever, especially in this season. But I, I so relate to what you said. There is that energy, there's an energetic position towards life that is a yes or a no. There's a, and that is what, that is what my life has become all about is how do you, I just want to make stuff that helps shift people into that energetic position of yes. Because, you know, this idea of like, I think a lot of us will live our daily life resisting life oh, yeah. because of the struggle, you know, like, yeah. Oh, and we so think that, we don't that, deserve that it. We're not answer. worthy. All the things. That's right. Yeah. So that that's an amazing answer. Uh, the last question I have is, okay, so that's what all of this stuff gave you. And I, 
I'm increasingly interested in this question of like creating as a critique, just, uh, and back to this Gary Shandling quote of giving what you didn't get. So are there things that you want to do through your work that, uh, that gives that in a better way to people like you? So many ways. Um, I probably everything I put out into the world is in some way, it's like enough part of what I, part of one of the filters I put on before I put something out into the world. And sometimes this is very conscious and sometimes it's, un, it's less so, but is like, you know, when you're reading something online or whatever, and you're just like, this is bullshit. Yeah. Your bullshit meter goes off. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's insincere, right? Like to bring it back to the start. So yeah. I have to say like a lot of the times when I give advice or I share something about what I've learned, it's exactly that. It's what I've learned because I was in the position of being um, ignorant or um, vulnerable or experiencing the thing myself. And so I would say 80% of the time I couch whatever it is I'm saying in my own experience at, mm -hmm. so that I'm not like, I'm, I'm learning to be more authoritative <laughs> and not say, well, this was my experience. It might not be yours. Um, which is also true, but like, I'm learning to sort of own my experience as being valid, but that's not really mm -hmm. what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about both owning as valid. And then uh, I'm saying like, not just saying this is how you should do it, or this is the way it works, or this, but rather this is what I've learned mm -hmm. because here's where I was before. And here's this really hard experience I had that led to this, or here's this new hat that I put on. Um, I was terrified to put on this new hat, but I put it on anyway. And guess what? Um, the world didn't fall apart. I actually became braver and you know, whatever. So like this, a lot of the content that I put out is purposefully based in my own experience because I don't want people's bullshit meters to go off. Like I want to be sincere and authentic I, and humble. Like I'm not telling you this because I, I was born knowing better. I'm telling you this because I learned over and over and over that this was the case. And, um, I, I, what I didn't have when I was, you know, 10, 14 years ago, or even I can think six or seven years ago when I was doing this work, um, I didn't have like a ton of role models or people saying like, Hey, settle down. This is all going to work out. Or, Hey, what you're going through is completely normal. Or yeah, that's actually how the creative process works. Or you will recover from this or, you know, um, whatever. Like I didn't, I didn't have that. And so to whatever extent I can be one of the people in the world who reminds other creatives um, how bumpy this road is and that actually it's the bumps that not only will you survive them, it's the bumps that will actually be the like fodder for your life and your work and your connection to other people. Um, that's that like what better way to like show up in the world is than that like like using your own life experience and your own creative experience to help other people just relax a little bit around what they're doing um we take ourselves so seriously like i work with a lot of middle-aged women 
no surprise. I am one. Right. Um, and when I say work with, I mean, teach and, um, I, or interact with, um, speak to, and a lot of younger women as well, but let's, let's just take this like microcosm of my, of my audience. And while we, um, have probably more life experience, more wisdom, more creativity, all of those things than a lot of younger women or than, than we had when we were younger, so many middle-aged women doubt themselves. Uh, I'm too old. I'm washed up. I don't have taste. I don't have style. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not cool. I'm not hip. I don't, I don't know, you know, and so we're just constantly, I, I, I say we, I I've moved past this, but like mm. as a generation, we're constantly telling ourselves we're not good enough. We're not, you know, we're not going to, you know, and it takes an enormous amount of energy and to show up in the world and put stuff out into the world when you think those things about yourself. And if I can just be a model for what it looks like to, as we were talking about earlier, to like, just be myself and not worry about what people think and, and also just normalize like feeling shitty sometimes and showing up anyway. And like that is if that's a gift I can give to the world and that helps some people. And from based on the internet comments I get, I think it, I think I am helping some people. So that to me is like beyond my art. Like, yeah, I like to get up and draw. I spent the entire day drawing yesterday, Andy, you know how amazing those days are, Mm -hmm. right? When all you do is draw. And I love that. And I, my, my, my messages flow through my art, but if I didn't, but if I drew every single day and didn't, that art and that work or my words that went with my work didn't connect to other people or didn't change lives or didn't make a difference, the drawing wouldn't matter as much. So really like the most important part of what I do every day in my career is actually, um, is actually the connection that I make or that my art makes or that my voice makes with other people in terms of giving hope and encouragement and, and validation and permission and, all of those things, not the maybe happy feeling somebody gets from looking at a, a pretty picture, mm. you know? I, uh, yeah. So I, uh, I, I love this idea. It makes me feel like I think before I, I, it's, it made me realize something that I don't know if I've ever articulated to you, but I feel like you and Draplin maybe it might've been as far back as almost a decade ago, your first creative mornings talk that you both embody all of that stuff that you're talking about. And it's this, and it, and maybe it was the first thing I remember watching your talk and Draplin's and just being like lit on fire. And I think it was because of before that, I think there in, in most art circles, art is kind of, uh, you know, talked about as it's separating yourself. Being an artist is about being different, being separate, being chosen, being whatever it is, but you're out, you're outside of the group and you're something above it even you're, you know, and then when I watched, I wouldn't have been able to articulate it at the time, but watch your talk and Draplin's talk. The thing about both of you that just deeply inspired me and it's, and both of you are a a huge part of everything that I do now is that it's not about separation. It's about connection. 
And, and there was, there's just something about both of you that has that sincerity, that connection, that care, um, that, that you bring to your work and it, and I hear it in everything you're saying about this idea of like, no, I want to show you that I am like you. And, and I, and actually I think great art has always done that, but, but there's a lot of mythology around art that I think has led artists astray and, and, and made them miss that. Right. And I think with, in, in the case of Droplin, one of the ways that he is able to embody that is, you know, he, not right now because of the pandemic, but he, he and his wife, Lee, they travel all over the country in this van um, going to colleges to, you know, in the middle of fucking nowhere to yeah. talk to students <laughs> and inspire them yeah. to, to be creative. And, you know, so it's like, his career is beyond his, you know, of course he gets to sell merch and he makes stuff that people love. He's got a, an amazing mm -hmm. aesthetic, but yeah. like his, you know, he, he doesn't necessarily do that through Instagram like I do. And that's the, that's the beautiful thing is like, I do it through Instagram. Aaron does it through, you know, what would probably exhaust the average person, which is like yeah. traveling all over the country to speak to people who don't have, you know, acts, you know, a lot of artists will only speak at certain conferences or at certain colleges or whatever. And, mm -hmm. and, and Aaron Droplin, like he, he's like, you, you're in the middle of Appalachia with like no funding that <laughs> yeah. you're my first choice. Right. Cause <laughs> yeah. that's the most important yeah. place for me to be. And, um, yeah, like we've both built our careers on, on connecting with people. And yeah, in this idea that like, my story is no different than yours, um, which is such an important thing for young people to hear um, because it makes it easier for them to envision themselves becoming not you, but something like you because yeah. they know that you started in the same place as them, you know? And I think there's a kind of a flywheel effect too, because you're talking about these two separate energies of connecting with people and making stuff. But I actually, I think in both cases, that the same energy that you get on stage with, that it is mirrored in your work. And, and with Draplin, it's the same where Draplin gets on stage with, even though he's a Portland guy, uh, there's a Midwest energy yeah. that he well, was grounded he is in. from Michigan or Wisconsin Michigan, or something. Yeah, yeah, he's from Michigan. And he, you know, and there's this, there's this democratic approach to design that you see in the aesthetic like hit and i think it's the package of this crystallization of who he is both when you see him and it's then authentically connected to the work and there's just this cyclical flywheel thing that i think happens that yeah it just all it all fits together so they're not like you were saying there are two different things but i think that they're really connected and i think that you know, everything that I'm guessing, all the experiences you've had connecting with people have then flowed back into how you, you know, make things and, and, and uh, how you put more of yourself into your work. Yeah, it's true. It's like, it's all connected. There's this, you know, I, I like to talk about Venn diagrams a lot. And every, every, every couple of months, you'll see a new one on my Instagram feed. Yeah. But yeah, I think about the Venn diagram that's like, you know, my between sort of like my values and my, my own personal experiences with things, which of course help inform my values and my values help, help inform those things. And then my art and like that, like most of what I put out into the world is sits somewhere in the middle of that. There are some exceptions to that, but, sure. yeah. um, 
but yeah, it's, it's the same thing that, you know, you talk about like uh, right now people say, well, why do you have to make so much political art? Like a lot of artists hear this and like, in some sense, like all art is political because you're making choices about what to stand for or, or Mm -hmm. what not to stand or, or the absence of standing for anything is also a political statement, right? Yeah, true. (laughs) So that, that realization for me is like, you know, is, is huge on the days when I post pictures of pretty flowers, you know, I'm also making a political statement, which, which is like, I don't really want to say anything today. <laughs> yeah. <right>. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I think I, yeah, you're completely right. Um, well, I don't, I really appreciate you giving me all this time. Uh, it was really fun to just talk. We haven't talked just one-on-one in a, in a while. I know so this is, a I, 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 I th- I'm trying to think, um, I've been on Debbie Millman's pa- podcast three times, um, mm-hmm. and yours now, this is my fourth yeah. conversation. You win. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like, I feel like talking to you is absolutely one of my favorite things. Well, actually it was like a little over a year ago. We talked last mm-hmm. time and we were like, we got to yeah. do this regularly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and now maybe yeah. we will because yes. we're more intertwined through co-loop than ever before. So. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm really hoping that uh, in the new year that we make some progress on the state of the world and we can actually see each other in person again soon. I know, that would be I know, really I know. Nice. Yeah. I, I, so. I feel you. I uh, would love to hop on a plane and come hang out with the entire co-loop crew in person. Yeah, we're going to we're going to do it. I'm that's an act of faith saying that. Like it's going to happen. It's going to happen in the near future. Um well, thanks for doing this, Lisa. Yeah, this was you bet. this was fantastic. I'm, like it's my honor and um anytime, of course. And I can honestly say I'll probably talk to you tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, thanks, Lisa. All right, bye Andy. Hey, we have our cal- our 2021 calendars on pre-sale now. Go to creativepeptalk.etsy.com. Get your calendars. Uh, we, I'm super proud of this calendar. I hope I just want you to go look at the cover of it because it's one of my favorite illustrations, and it really illuminates. It really illustrates how I'm feeling about next year. A little bit afraid, but I still am hopeful that there's some magic in some caves if we're willing to go spelunking. Uh, Get your Splunk on and go to creativepeptalk.etsy.com. Go pre-order now. We're, we have a certain amount of these. We're not going to order more. So so there you go. Uh, check it out. We are so lucky to have had Lisa on four times. And I really do think every time has been better than the last. Uh, I have absolutely loved becoming Lisa's friend and uh, she's so inspiring to me and she's so inspiring to just thousands and thousands of people. Lisa, keep doing what you're doing. Thanks for giving me the time. We are so happy to have you on CoLoop. You are awesome. Thanks to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our theme music. Thanks to Alex Sugg for our soundtrack. Go listen to it on Spotify. It's great work music because it's instrumental. Thanks to Ryan Appleton for scheduling content assistance. Thanks to Sophie Miller, my 
wife for supporting me, constant content support and problem solving and, you know, just that kind of stuff. And uh, thanks to Jordan Aaron for editing the show so beautifully. We appreciate you, Aaron and Jordan, <laughs> Aaron. Um, <laughs> all right, fine. The episode's over. Stay pep tap. <laughs>